So we um, started to look at some foundational truths uh, because sometimes we can um, live uh, and talk, especially sometimes as leaders, as though well, you all know all this. Yeah, so why should we go over it again? I remember when we were doing the Relationship Matters series and we talked about a number of things, forgiveness and, and, and uh, I can't think of anything else now. <laughs> My mind's gone blank. But a number of topics, thought, well, people are going to know this. And, and we prayed that we would be able to bring something new. And, and actually, I pray that we wouldn't bring anything new, <laughs> if I'm really honest. Um, Sometimes an old truth spun in a new way, you need to be really careful that you're not bringing in something that was not there to begin with. So looking at some foundational stuff is really important because uh, we live in a fast-paced, changing world. And, um, and we have a God that does not change. And to know the pillars and the foundation that our faith is built upon is vitally important. Andrea... Um, a couple of weeks ago, and they could have been in a different order, yeah, but it was Pentecost Sunday, and, and I'm very low church. I was born into a house church, just a few people thought they'd meet in a home and call it a church, yeah, so I kind of get lost with the seasons and all the right names of the stuff that's going on, so I, thought, oh, I know it's Pentecost Sunday, and I know what that is. So Andrea spoke on the Holy Spirit, um, who is uh, God, three in one. I love it. I can't help but go with that. I go three in one. Oh, I just love it. It's great. And this morning, we want to look at the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As I studied this, a, a Baptist minister who had written an article a long time ago says, once you've sorted the Lordship of Jesus out, everything else follows and falls into place. F Philippians 2, 9 2.11, not 0.11. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him, this is Jesus, the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth, and that those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of of God the Father. This scripture actually tells us that at some point in the future, there will be no choice. It will just be so clear under the weight of who Jesus is that every knee will bow and every tongue confess him Lord. Whether willingly or whether through gritted teeth, it will be clear when God comes back again and claims us for his own, there will be a time when we will use our knees for what they were made for. Some of this not our kneecaps. For kneeling before the almighty living God and call him Lord. Call him Lord. Will they do it willfully, joyfully, or will it be through gritted teeth? According to the Bible, the issue of whether Jesus Christ is Lord or not is not going to be an issue. So the question might be, so how soon... Will we acknowledge it? The word Lord is, hold on, um, kurios. Kurios. I like to press the little button that plays it, and a man goes, strong G, 134. I don't know what it is, but then he goes, and, and I practice it, and then I write it phonetically so I look really good. The word Lord, 
kurios, kurios. And it means this, to he whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding, master, lord, the possessor, the disposer, the owner, one who has control of the person and the master. Now, in today's terms, this actually causes us a big problem. Control over people, possession of a person, owner of an individual, and belonging. I mean, gosh, what is this? Is this slavery? This causes us a big, huge problem because these words, these words like belongs and master and possessor and owner and control are things that we feel should be in our control to have and own. I have rights. And yet the Bible teaches that we are to call Jesus Lord. Master, I'm your possession. You have control. You possess me. You have power of deciding. I mean, come on, that is uncomfortable. In today's climate, in today's way, it is simply uncomfortable. And yet the Bible teaches in the Amplified, because of your knowledge, because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So according to scripture, Jesus is Lord, Accepting Jesus is Lord is what it means to be saved. Play it back. Not accepting Jesus as Lord follows that you can't be saved. You're going to think about that. I want to know. I want to think about that one. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in your heart, you speak and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth. Confession has the idea of agreeing with. When we confess the Lord Jesus, we agree with what God says about Jesus and with what Jesus says about himself. It means we recognize that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah, and that his work on the cross is the only way of salvation for mankind. Jesus is Lord, and we are to give him our whole lives. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I did actually find the first person who, who allegedly said that, but I forgot to make her note of it. We have to have the right heart. We have to actually have the right heart. Most of us in this room are Christians. We're speaking now, I'm speaking now to a room where people have chosen Christ as their salvation. Christ as their way. So we actually know that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, but we have to have a heart that seeks to want to keep him Lord. What does the Bible say? This is in red, which means? 
Matthew 16, 24 to 26, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? A bit of a side note. I believe that the trick of the enemy is to get us focusing on the here and now only. Only. Yeah, there may be a hell. Uh, I know there's a heaven. But actually, do you realize how difficult it is now? Do you realize what is going on now? Romans 8.18 basically says, man, you just don't know the glories that are waiting for you in heaven. It says they do not compare. They're not even in the same ballpark. You can't put them side by side. These are the struggles we're going through now, and these are the wonderful glories we'll have in heaven. You can't even match them up. You can't even say they balance each other out. You can't even say that the struggles that we have in this world are anywhere near the, and that the glories that we have in, in heaven to come will balance out these things. They just wait at the balance. They just wait at the balance. What is to come is so much greater. We cannot imagine there being no more tears. We cannot imagine there being no more pain. We cannot imagine there being no more sickness or death. We can't imagine it. So therefore we can't look at our sufferings and say, well, actually, yes or what's to come balances out what I'm going through now it tips it and it tips the scales right over amen oh steady on Ben <sighs> the challenge here isn't that there isn't ah, sorry let me just come back to the notes laying your life down it is challenging uh, and as I started to work through it I thought oh no Ben oh no it it's going to be another one of those. And I started to think and pray all week. Whenever Andrea's wanted to use the prayer room, I've got there first. I've seen her come up, I've seen her look through, and I've seen that little face, not little, but I've seen that face go. I was like, and then she's seen that I'm in prayer and kind of, yes, you know, you have to get up even earlier, Andrea. But I spent all week saying, Lord, this is challenging. Does it have to be about giving stuff away? Does it have to be about laying your life down? Yes. 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 The challenge here isn't that there, there isn't a way around it. Making Jesus Lord of your life is self-sacrificing. In my own experience, it has meant on more than one occasion, but not every occasion, laying down something that I really want, something that I feel is important, or something that I just simply need to let go of. Going to a place I would rather not, or doing something I hadn't considered. Often, it's caused me to lay things down and walk a different way. The Lordship of Jesus Christ starts with with a willingness that says, Jesus, my life is yours. Any place, any time, any cost. Father, my, my life is yours. Any place, any time, any cost. 
the Lordship of Jesus. The Lordship of Jesus. There has to be a willingness to trust God. There has to be a willingness to know that he knows best. We love it when, when good things are happening. Listen to this, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God knows what's best for us. He is perfect. He is all loving. He is love. He can't do anything else but love. He is truth. He is light. He is perfect. There is nothing he ever does that is out of place or out of step with our character. Like sometimes my children don't understand why I send them to bed at a reasonable time and think I am so unreasonable. We've just called God our Father. Then you're trivializing it to what time you... You send your children to bed? Yes, because for them, they don't get it. They think I'm unreasonable. I'm not tired, Daddy. I am not tired. I want to stay up longer. It could be anything else. Six or seven years ago, Jacob asked me for a real gun. And you're going, no, no, I get, I get why Ben didn't do that. But he thought I was unreasonable. And yet here we are, we sing, God, you're so higher, you're so greater, and yet when he does anything we can't comprehend, or we think he shouldn't ask, we actually find a way that it isn't God speaking. We need to trust. There has to be a willingness to trust God. Well, if God says it, then it has to be good for me. God knows what is best for us. There has to be a willingness to lay down my career, my relationships, my calling. But God has given it to me. But if it gets in the place of God, then actually you need to lay it down. My money, my money, my service, my time. And I was thinking, so, 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 so Lord, this is my list. <laughs> what do you want on there? Because it could go on and on and on. And I felt he said this. Now, don't pick me up when I invite you to my home or ask you if you want a lift in my car. <laughs> Come on. There's an attitude that says mine. Mine. You've seen finding... You know, mine? Mine? Or if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's my precious. It's that, and we laugh, but it's that. And actually, when it becomes mine... It's one step away from idolatry, which is a foreign God. And idolaters do not enter the kingdom of heaven. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. The nature of Christianity. I think the challenge for us is that we should be surprised if we hadn't had an incident where it was difficult to submit something to God. I think we should be. And I think we should think, gosh, hang on, I better just check where I'm at. Because in our Christian walk, there is laying your life down, giving over everything with all of those awkward words has got to be difficult. It was difficult a hundred years ago. My goodness, is it more difficult now? Why? The Bible teaches that the heart is wicked. 
Unless we walk in God's power, we end up doing what we don't want to do. And unless we live in God's power, we just do what we don't want to do. And what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't do, I don't want to do, I do do. Evil thoughts come from the heart. This is all what the Bible teaches. The path is narrow and not many will find it. Then we look at society where many thinkers, both secular and religious, will highlight just how self-focused we are. I was listening to Radio 4. I was enjoying it. I'm getting old. And I forget the context that the lady was talking. It was nothing religious. But she said, it's no longer we. It's all me. Secular thinkers are seeing this. I mean, we only actually say a prayer is answered when we get what we wanted. Have you realized that? God has answered lots of my prayers. No. No. But think about it. He's not answered my prayer yet. No, he may well have. We just didn't like the answer. We just didn't like the answer. Then surely, if this is what the Bible teaches, if this is what secular thinkers are seeing and thinking, then surely submitting our whole life to Jesus has got to cause us some issues, some struggles, some challenges. If it hasn't, then surely you have to ask, am I deceiving myself? Search yourself right now. What is it? Well, Lord, now you've got everything, but don't do that. In the 80s, when I was a, a teenager, late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot of talk about Jesus coming back. A lot of talk. And we really started to really believe that it was imminent, just not before I'm married, Lord. No, no you, you can come back, but these things are more important first. I'm only 17, Lord. I want to experience more life before you come back. Oh, come on, Ben. It starts. <laughs> it starts. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord. There may be some areas where you are simply saying, Lord, just not that. Don't ask me about that. However, on the whole, I would think that if, you, if, if we knew it was God, you know, because we're, we're Christians, Yes. We're followers of Jesus. Ben, now, if I know it's God speaking, then I have, honestly, it may take me a bit of time, but I have no problem in giving it to God. If I know it's God speaking. Hold on. The trouble is, we want to be, we, we want to decide when it is God is speaking. I think it's a couple of slides on. There you go. The problem isn't accepting Jesus as Lord. The problem is we choose when it is the Lord who is speaking. No, no, that's not God. That was you. Quite often it depends on what the message is and the package it comes in. I don't like that church leader. I don't like that church elder. No, no. Did you see what they were doing the other week? No, God wouldn't speak through them. A couple of weeks ago I started to talk about... a. A worldview, a lens that we look through. And again, some, 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 some greater, better thinkers than I are saying that we are reading the Bible now through a lens of, is it plausible? Is it reasonable? It is what I'm reading, or it 
is what someone telling me Lord is saying. Is it plausible that I can do that? Is it plausible? Is it even reasonable for God, a loving God who wants only what is good for me, who wants to lavish his gifts upon me? I've got the scriptures. Is that reasonable for God to ask that? And is it fair? This is the lens that not only we read his word through, but we listen and we receive words from. Is it plausible? Is it reasonable? Is it fair? It's not, it's not fair that God has told me this next, not to take this next promotion to this bigger job with a greater salary. Do you realize how much I can tithe? It's not reasonable that God is asking me to give 10% of my income to him for him to pass it to the church. It's not plausible that God would ask me to live a celibate life. So we take the lens, that we, we read the Bible through that lens, we listen to what people are saying, God is saying through that lens, and then we go find the sermons, the books, the theologians who back up what I have already decided is not plausible, is not reasonable, and is not fair. We, we need to remove our lens. We need to get healed up, we need to get welled up, and we need to get filled up. And we need to read his word and listen to his heart with no lens. With no lens. Often our refusal to accept accept that it is God. Often our, our refusal to accept that it is God speaking is because the package he uses to convey what he wants to say. A church member we don't like, a church leader, an elder, your spouse, your children. God speaks to our children. A donkey, if you read Numbers 22. We all too often see the package and miss the message. The problem isn't accepting Jesus as Lord. The problem is we choose when it is the Lord who is speaking. If it's not plausible, reasonable or fair, then a loving God simply wouldn't ask that of me. I mean, if we let that mindset take root, then we start to ask questions. Did a loving God really need to send his son to die? That's just not reasonable. That's just not fair. I sometimes think that if we haven't had these experiences, if we haven't had to wrestle with something to lay down, then we need to look very closely at what our idea of Lord, of making Jesus Lord of our life is. Making Jesus Lord and laying down our lives in small, practical ways. The job I wanted, the promotion I was offered, the new house, the new relationship. When we do, when we realise God is speaking, and not always. I'm still not an administrator, a data encoder in Lombard. I don't live in the two-bedroom house at the end of the runway anymore. Praise the Lord. Hello. Going off to your holidays. It was literally like that. But when actually it becomes the thing that grabs us, that we press in for, actually God says, I want to be Lord of this life. I want to be Lord of these lives. And when we do lay those things down, it's a wonderful thing. It speaks in loud terms of, I am not my own. I have been bought at a price. It talks of commitment, loyalty, and stickability. Just as I said during my Easter talks, it's standing at the foot of the cross, looking up at a blooded, bruised Jesus and affirming, I'm with him. What he says goes. Where he goes, I go. He's my Lord. Controller, belonger, possessor, 
power over my decisions. But why is the Lordship of Jesus all about giving up and letting go? What about God the giver, the restorer, the healer? What about those things? Let's look at actually why Jesus is Lord. Where are we? Quarter two. 2 Samuel 9, 3 to 13 says this, Then the king said, Is there not still someone, this is David speaking when he's become king, Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. Saul was the king before David. There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of, M- M- of Mitchur, son of Anmiel, in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mitchur, the son of Anmiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, the son of jo- Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then Jesus said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul, to all his household. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But, but Mephibosheth's, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table, at the king's table, always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 Servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord, the king, has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were the servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. What was expected of a conquering king, what had done under God's reign for centuries, was that the new king would massacre anyone who was from the old dynasty. That was what was expected. So Mephibosheth had been living in hiding, fear for his life. He'd gone to the most unlikely place, a small town called Lodibar. The translation for Lodibar is no pasture or no hope. Mephibosheth had no hope. He was a wanted man. Not only did he have no hope, but he lived in no hope. Every day as he got up, he would look upon no hope. He was in despair. He had no future, no plan, no life. Not only that, but he was lame. This was a huge problem in Mephibosheth's day. It was, obs- it was usually seen as a curse and a punishment for the sins of his father. Well, of course, of course that would follow your Saul's son, your Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son. Jonathan is your dad. This is punishment. No one would want him around. No one would have given him a job. No one would have let him into his family. Mephibosheth was an outcast living with no hope 
and no way of getting out. He was lost. He was desperate. He was trapped. You ever felt trapped? You ever felt desperate and lost? That feeling of no control, of no way out. That was Mephibosheth. Then one day Mephibosheth hears the king's guards are looking for him. Fear must have gripped him as he could hear the guards looking for him. Perhaps Emil had heard what was going on and hidden him. Wherever it was, all we know was that they found him. The guards, likely not knowing why their king had sent for Mephibosheth, can't reassure him. So Mephibosheth comes kicking and screaming, shouting, No! No! Have mercy on me! Have mercy on me! He's brought into the presence of the king and he falls down on his knees, prostrate before the king, maybe touching the hem of his garments, in fear of what's to come. Mephibosheth hears his name. It sounds so sweet on the lips of the king. It's conveying nothing but love. Mephibosheth confused, almost forgets himself before he remembers. Here is your servant, Lord. And he hears, do not fear. Because of a promise that David made to Jonathan, because of a covenant, I will restore to you all that has been lost. I will give you hope and a future and you will sit at my table and I will call you son. That isn't a parallel for what Jesus has done for us. We had no hope. All all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have had no hope. We are deserving of punishment for the wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you need to understand this. There was a punishment. We were deserving of of being punished. There was a disease. There was a thing that we were born into that maybe we couldn't help. And maybe we feel that is unfair. But it was there that was just incomprehensible with a holy living God. We forget that we are God's creation. That we were his for his pleasure and we went off and did our own thing. And we still do that now. The king calls our name. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The king pays our debts for you were bought at a price. Do you realise we were bought? We were bought. You have to see it from God's perspective. Yeah? Imagine you, you, you had the most treasured thing that you could possibly have. And you loved it and you adored it and it gave you great pleasure and joy and it was taken from you. You then see it in a pawn shop and you know it's yours. And you go in and you try and explain that it's yours. And you even call the police but they're not sure and you do everything you possibly can. And they say, no, I'm sorry, you can't have it back. So you buy it. It was already mine in the first place. But I love it so much, I'll buy it again. Son, will you pay? Yes, Father. For we are one. Yes, Father. For we are one. 
The king gives us hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The king gives us a future that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The king calls us sons and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. All because Jesus hung on a cross and paid a price for us. We have to realise just how much we needed the price being paid. We walked out and it infiltrated every single person that he's born for a millennia since. And yet Jesus paid it all. Colossians 1, 13-14, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, of his love, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We can't forget that we were on a road and a path to darkness. And because of what Jesus did, he's thrust us into light because of his son of love. It's a complete reversal of where we were headed and now where we're going. Mephibosheth had no hope, no future, and the king turned it around. That's what Jesus has done for us. And you being dead in your trespasses in the circumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he's taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross amen Amen. Mephibosheth had no problem saying Lord 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 you mean for the rest of my life I can sit at your table You mean for the rest of my life? And and that's what we need to hold on to. You see, the trouble is we forget, we get caught up in this life. Read the Bible. God continually reminded himself and showed his goodness to his people. And they loved it and enjoyed it and then they walked away. And he had to remind them and bring them back again and again and again. What's the definition of madness? Doing the same thing again and again and again and expecting a different outcome. Some of you, that first time you were born again and you realized what Christ had done, hold on to that. Because in the light of that, what Jesus did at the cross, it is so easy to call him Lord. Can I invite the band to come back on the stage?